0: This morning, uh, which is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are. You're God's people. Isn't that amazing? Once you were not a people, but but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that they... When they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And what that last phrase meaning basically is that the good deeds, you may be accused of being fanatical, uh, narrow minded, a number of things. But if it's because of the things of Christ, God is still glorified. And, And so be known for that. That's not a problem. And at some point in time, those people will recognize that you were standing with God the whole time. But we can also be obnoxious with our Christianity. And uh, Paul is very careful to say not to do that. Uh, he, if, if he were to have a vernacular for it today, he would have said, don't take your big Bible and hit people over the head with it. You know, uh, Be gentle, be kind. And, and consider it showing love for those who are not showing love back even. So, with that in mind, we start our Scriptures here because I, what I want to look at today is, and that's and a valid question, why do we have hard questions? Especially if we're believers. Why as believers do we have hard questions from Scripture? You would think, And and candidly, I I had this misconception at a point where I thought once I I started looking into it and started studying and and became a Christian, it would all fall together in such a way that I would have a a good understanding of it. And then I found out that there were so many different opinions about so many different things that I couldn't figure out why. How come we can't all agree on certain things? And all the, the different things that in the Scripture become difficult. And the reason is really far more simple than we want to deal with. And so, this is how I'm going to approach why we have these hard questions. First, we have to start at the, at the beginning of, of this issue, which is that we live in a fallen world. And there is sin. And Paul has a, a description of the condition of the world. We've referred to it uh, uh, over the last few weeks, uh, and and I want to read the whole passage this morning. It's a lengthy passage, so we'll put it up on the screen that you can follow along. It's from Romans chapter 1, starting with the 18th verse. Yeah, what did I... Oh, don't have it. Well, then you guys have to look up Romans chapter 1 So they are without excuse. In other words, people who deny the, the idea of a creator and a, a, a de, what we might call an intelligent design to the, the creation uh, are, are fooling themselves. Uh, it reveals that there is indeed a God. And isn't it interesting over the years we have found that the more science we understand, the less science we know. And in the sense of, of getting down into the, the absolute ultra-microscopic you know, looking at things and the intricacies of cells and, and parts of cells and this type of thing and still finding more. And how it all comes together, stays together, isn't a mystery in the sense of how it holds together. I know we've talked about that before, but the idea is, is that According to science, everything is expanding in a sense of coming apart, and yet it isn't happening in the in the in in a, it's, scripture makes it really clear about christ that it's by his breath it's by his word that it's held together but even nature reveals itself uh somebody pointed out to me that in in uh, uh it was well it was Jason christensen who was science, studying uh, uh Chemistry and, and bi, bi, biology, and, and, and all, and, and uh, down at uh, UC, uh, UCS, uh, or University of California, Southern, University of Southern California, USC, there we go. And uh, the fact that, you, you know, in the very beginning, you have, in the beginning, was uh, God created the heavens and the earth, okay? In the beginning, this time, the start of time, God created the heavens, space, and the earth, matter. So the things, the three things that we look at, that everything is made of, it it fits into time, space, and matter. Yeah, it's God created that in the very first few words. There's science coming from the scripture, and uh, there's a, a, a passage in Job that talks about the curvature of the earth. And and people didn't de- deal with that until uh, Columbus type you know things and, and yet here in the scripture it talks about it uh, at the time of Job which is probably one of the first books of the Bible written and so we look at all of these different things and realize that if you go into scripture you'll see over and over and over again where science is confirmed and and now today we look at it I remember my biology teacher in high school saying. The more we know, and this was back in the in the sixties, and we weren't nearly as 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 far along as we are, especially in in uh the, the microscience, you know, we were in macroscience, you you were you know even just beginning to touch the edges of it. And he says, the more we find out, the more we're going to see there is an intelligent design. And that was in a public school. Uh so uh, what we we understand is is that he's, this is what Paul is saying. It's, nature reveals who God is, uh, and so man's without excuse for to you know to deny God is, is he has no excuse. And they say he says, for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts and darkened uh, were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Instead of worshiping the the Creator, they became ones who worshiped what has been created. And uh, it says, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. In other words, God let them have their way. This is the world you want. You've got it to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women, exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And we see that in our culture today more than ever. As we see the gender issues, our culture is giving approval over and over and over again to these things that are an offense to God. And the result is going to be catastrophic as far as the judgment and, and, the, and what happens to us as a result. And it won't be God doing it in that sense. It's we're doing it to ourselves. Now, the reason why I start here is, is, is somebody saying, well, I, I don't fit into that category anymore. I'm, I'm a believer now. Okay, but it has impacted us. Because all of us come from that. Ever since Adam. The fall. We all come from the fall. Every one of us are born with flesh. That is a relationship to Adam and the fall. Every one of us are born with a sin nature. That is a relationship to Adam and the fall. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory. Even while we were His enemy, we sang it this morning, He saved us. And now we sit at His table. Okay, so there is a distinction. But we need to understand this is the framework. This is the groundwork. This is where it starts. And the condition of the world where anywhere where the sovereign God of the Bible seen through Jesus Christ the one and only path to salvation and the Holy Spirit working within us to reveal all of this to us. Anything, you know, Anything less than that is not worshiping God and falls into the other category. There's only two camps, by the way. There's no partial places. You know, There's a, a real strong movement over the last three decades to somehow bind the thinking of Islam, Judaism, and Christianity with this statement, they all worship the same God, why are they fighting against each other? They all claim the Bible, the Old Testament, God Jehovah. Well, I'll tell you what. Unless they claim God Jehovah through Jesus Christ, we do not compl- do not have the same God. They have a false God. Somebody's going to say, well, that's too narrow-minded. No, that's biblical. And yes, it may be narrow-minded, but it's not too narrow-minded. But... We look at at, at, at at the gospel, especially the gospel of John and his letters and, and it quotes from Jesus, and there's something very clear about the followers of Christ. He says, Those who are following me, we're not going to be part of the world. The world is what Paul's just talked about in, in, in Romans chapter one. That's the condition of the world. Whenever the scriptures are referring to the world, that's what they're talking about. They're talking about the, the The opposite of the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, ultimately, you will be in the world, but you will not be of it. Meaning, we live here, we are a part of it, in the sense that we interact with it, but we don't belong to it. We're no longer citizens of the world. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. A couple of weeks ago, uh, you know, I, I put into my notes, "Okay, what happened? How does this come about?" And, and a couple of weeks ago, we, we shared a scripture coming out of uh, uh, First Corinthians chapter six. I'd like to go back to that this morning. First Corinthians chapter six, uh, verses nine through uh, eleven. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I went through all of that two weeks ago to define those things. I'm not going to take the time to do that again this morning, but the one thing I want you to know is it says, do you not know the unrighteous? When it's speaking about the unrighteous, it's speaking about the people of the world. They are not a part of the kingdom of God. They're not saved. Someone will say, how do you know? It says it right here. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. That means they're not saved. They do not do not be deceived uh, neither. then all these things. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, somebody will say, that means the you know anybody that's, that has problems with these sins aren't going to inherit the kingdom of God that's not what it it means when you get it and pull into full context what you will see is that anybody who just simply lives this lifestyle non-repentant they're unrepentant they aren't they, they don't see it as sin in fact they condone it they they encourage one another It's like the person who says, "I don't like to drink alone." Uh, You know, it's 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 wanting to share in my sin life with other people of like-mindedness, so that I am allowed that freedom to do it, and not to walk away feeling guilty. Because look, I'm not the only one. Look at all the people that do this. And then the other part of it is is that we'll take another stand. We'll say, I'm not as bad as, and some other group that does something worse. But the idea is is that all of, you know, those that are unrepentant in this category, the same category as Romans chapter 1, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then Paul writes very clearly, and such were some of you. Now, the some of you is a generic thing. It's a nice way of what Paul frequently says since and if and and when he means literally. Uh, and, And in this case, some of you, some of you fit this particular category of group of people. But all of you, if we listed all of the sins, this is not all inclusive. All of you come out of sin. Some of you come out of these sins. Some of you come out of other sins, but all of you come out of sin, so don't misunderstand that, that these are only the only sins that are in trouble. What sin causes us to not inherit the kingdom of God? Any sin. Anything that misses God's perfect holiness is less than perfect, misses the mark, is not repentant, Deserves the penalty. The wages of sin is death. Such were some of you, but something happened. He says you were washed. Interesting phrase here. You were some of you, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. And by the Spirit of our God. So you even see a picture of the Trinity there. Uh, Jesus Christ, God and the Spirit. Uh, but the whole picture is, is that there's a specific pattern. You were washed, sanctified, and, and justified in the name of Jesus Christ. With Jesus Christ at the forefront of all of this. The assumption is that Paul is making here is that you have already made a confession of faith. And therefore, as a confession of faith, you have been washed sanctified, and justified. Paul would have, would have uh, automatically just assumed that. And of course, if we read through all of this and get into the chapters uh, prior to this, you would see that, that where that all comes from. So as we get saved, we become the beginning of being washed, sanctified, and justified. And by the way, if this has happened... You will inherit the kingdom of God. You will inherit the kingdom of God. This idea of being washed. It's the cleansing of the conscience, really, if we want to get down to it. It's a cleansing of the way we think. Transforming the way we think. Now, we can't do this on our own. We can't get righteous on our own. We can't get thinking the right way on our own. That's why he says, with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God working in us. At the point in time that we confess Jesus Christ as our Savior, at the point in time we accept Him and believe that He is the Son of God, the One that God raised from the dead, we are in the process of being washed, sanctified, and justified. And at that point, of confession we receive the gift of the holy spirit in us. period. The holy spirit begins to work in us, causing us to think in a new way, a different way. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12 to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to uh, which a uh, is an acceptable thing to God. A living sacrifice so that we will be transformed to the likeness of God's work instead of to the, be conformed to the world. He says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. Transformed means metamorphosis. Not just changed, but made new. God is in the process of making us new. By the way, He makes an absolute promise Philippians chapter 1, he's going to complete this work that he has started. So the cleansing of our conscience is this idea of being washed. And by the way, this is an ongoing process. The more uh, the the cleansing goes on, the more I come to realize there's more to be cleaned. Uh, Sometimes we get into Scripture, it's the same way. The more Scripture I know, the more I realize I don't understand. Uh, and, and I'll share with that in just a minute, but the idea is, is that this cleansing is something that it's going to be a lifetime happening. I live in a mortal body. I have a a, a a flesh that has its desires and wants, and I'm going to be in competition with that from the spiritual side for all of my life. We'll look at that closely in a minute. This idea of having your mind transformed leads to the idea of sanctification. You are sanctified. Sanctification is an ongoing process. It means to be set apart, to be made holy, to be made acceptable to God. How? What, what has to happen to us to be acceptable to God? Does anybody know? Okay, cleansed in the blood of Jesus is the way it happens. The reality is is that it says be you holy. Be holy as God is holy. If we want to come before the throne of God, we have to be as holy as God. Every one of us is in trouble even now if it weren't for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the work that He's doing in us of sanctifying, changing the way we perceive things in the world. Does anybody still struggle with sin in here? Of course, every one of us do. And so this process of wash and sanctification is an ongoing process. And again, like I said, it's a lifetime happening. We're going to get down to the to the end of it and and, and uh we're going to end of life and we're still going to recognize that there are things that have not happened yet. Uh, and but 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 God brings us through death. By the way, I always emphasize this when I talk about death at the end of life. Death is never our friend. I've heard heard sermons and things at funerals. Uh, Because we're believers, death has become our friend because it has lost its sting. It's lost its sting. It doesn't mean it's our friend. It lost its sting because of Jesus Christ and it no longer is a threat to us. But death is the result of what? Sin. And anything that's the result of sin is not going to be our friend. Death is the final consequence to sin. It's not our friend. But Christ has defeated it. It was our enemy and it's defeated. And it doesn't make it our friend. Side note. So this idea of being sanctified, set apart, made holy, uh, it's a process. God is taking over through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, making us new. And so there's a, a term that's that's it's fairly popular right now. It's called and it comes not. It's not new. it's just become popular again. Already, but not yet. God looks at it as already happened, and therefore invites us into His throne room, past the veil that's torn. He invites us to to dwell with Him even though it hasn't been finished. He sees it as done. That's where we come to the word justified. Out of these three, justified is the only one that is already completed. You don't get justified more. Justified is something that Christ took care of on the cross. We have been made at peace. We have been made righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are acceptable to God. We are justified. Justified never sinned. I I, I know it's a play on words, but it's, it's a good picture. Christ's sinlessness has been imputed, put on me, and as a result, God sees me through the blood of Christ and I am justified once and for all. So what happens with this idea of sanctified and and, and, and and washed is as we are justified, the sanctification and the washing begins to take place. I, I, I need pictures. Uh, and, I, and I've shared this before, but uh, I see it for me as a picture of, of a house. My house. I'll be personal. Jesus says in Revelation chapter th- uh, 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with them or I will dine with them or I will sup with them, depending on what translation you have. The idea is he's going to come in and eat with us, which is a sense of camaraderie, coming together, uh, community, a lot of things. The idea of eating was a, was a part of, of, of friendship and bonding. So Jesus says, I will come in and bond with you. By the have have you ever seen any of the paintings of, of of this scripture? There's a number of them that were produced, and there was one in watercolors that, are uh, in uh, the fill in the blanks. I can't think of what they call that right now. Uh, but you buy the painting, and it has the numbers, paint by numbers, and you fill in the and the blanks and stuff like that according to the colors. And the the, the and this is a person I actually met. He he, he finished it and he realized that there was no way to get into the door, so he painted a doorknob on it. Um, the idea was, was that there's not supposed to be one. We have to open the door from where? The inside. Now, the other thing about Jesus is Jesus is known as the light of the world. Wherever he goes, his light comes into the darkness and, and blanks it out, if you will. Keep that in mind. So Jesus is at the door and he knocks. And I let him into the entryway. And he says, let's go sup or said at your dining area. So immediately my entryway and my dining area are filled with the light of Christ. But the rest of my house is blocked off by doors. I have, I, I have a nice house of, of, uh, with doors on all the rooms and stuff like that. Much uh, might not have been real common in that time, but that's my picture and 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 so Jesus comes in, and that part is is flooded with his light. And then I leave the room and and the next thing you know hes, he's he he's comes up to maybe it's my bedroom and and i 've shut the door and he knocks at that door. He wants into that part of my life or he wants into the den. Or into my library or, or into to the, the family room. He, he wants to come into all parts of the house. so he knocks at the door of all parts of my life, but it's a process. It doesn't happen immediately. He is in the process of what? Washing me, sanctifying me, coming bit by bit. And when his light comes into the room, it, it, it just crushes all the darkness, gets into all the nooks and crannies. It even gets into the closets, you know, and, 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 and just cleans house. I think it's uh, the, one of the groups that witnesses on the college campuses had the picture of the many crowns that we have in, in our life, things that are private to us and personal. and We want to hold on to where we want to be in charge. And so they called it our, our crowns. And it was the idea was uh, I, I, Christ is to be the, the crown of my life. He I'm to be in submission to him and he's to be on the throne. But. But very frequently, Christians find ourselves still sitting on the throne with Christ off to the side, where He's in our lives, but He's not in full control. The idea is that He's supposed to be on the throne, and so this, the idea was He wants to get rid of all your crowns, and 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 what we are is we're really clever. We finally find one little room where we can hide them all, <laughs> you know. And He wants he's, He wants that room too. It's 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 just I, for me, it's that picture. He wants to invade. Ultimately, every corner. But he's patient with me. He works through it. Based on what I've learned in this room of him, I become convicted about some other part of my house and I invite him in. And then I become convicted and I invite him in. Things that I didn't know were sin 20 years ago become sin to me and I realize I'm convicted. The Holy Spirit working in me. I'm being washed. I'm being sanctified. It's a process. And Jesus is coming through. What He wants to do is to make a truth out of the statement that He makes in in, uh, Matthew. You are the light of the world. Now, when He says you are the light of the world, He doesn't mean that you yourself are the light. What he is actually referring to, Him in you is the light of the world, and that your light is to be seen. So not only does he want to come in and clean house, but he wants to shine through and become a testimony, a witness to other people. And so he's in the process of making this a reality. And by the way, kind of a side note here, we do all of this together. This is not something we do on an individual walk. It requires us to be together. I'm not going to go into great detail with this this morning, but Ephesians chapter 4 is full of ideas about this. Verse 22 of chapter 4 says, uh, Put off the old self. Okay, okay, I need to do that. That's what we're talking about, being changed, being transformed. And, and, and it says to do it in verse 23, be, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's how you put off the old self. And it says, then put on the new self. By the way, you always have this coming up in Scripture in one way or another. When God asks us to put off something by the transforming and renewing of our mind, He asks us to put on something in its place. Take off the world. Put on the kingdom of God in some way. Put off the old self. By the renewing of your mind, put on the new self. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, in fact, I I will read read some of this. Uh, Starting with the 25th uh, verse. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. We're all part of the body of Christ and by ourselves, we're we're standing uh, vulnerable. But together, encouraging one another, helping one another, being of like mind so that when we come together, we are encouraging one another. This morning we come together to encourage one another. Uh, and, And then he goes on, he says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down. On your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. See, there is to put off. Stop stealing. Now labor. And not only that, but doing honest work with his hands, uh, his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And so instead of becoming the person stealing and meeting his own needs that way, he becomes one who's not only filling his own need, but ready to share and help someone else's need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as it fits the occasion. Unless you're talking to yourself, you, you need somebody else here. <laughs> now, some people are really good at conversations with themselves. They like the answers they get. But, but the bottom line is that it's referring to interaction here. People with people. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. The idea of one another, members of each other, the combined thought of it. We're told to not forsake fellowship in Hebrews. All of this is because we are to do this together as a body. You see, we are the church, the body of Christ, collectively together. And so we need each other to encourage each other. Someone will be going through an experience in their life that I haven't had yet. And they'll show me the way to do it, bringing Christ into it. I'm having my mind transformed by God's work in someone else. As I allow the Holy Spirit to open my mind to it and transform me. In the way I think. We are important to one another. By the way, Ephesians goes on and it talks about, and and other places in Scripture as well, about the ideas of words of encouragement versus words of, you see it, put away all slander, gossip, malice, this type of thing. Only words of encouragement. As meets the need of the moment. We're really fast with comebacks that can be really targeted, really mean, and really slice. But that's not what God expects from us. What God wants to see come from us are words of encouragement, words that lift up, words that build up. There's the old saying, if I can't say anything nice, don't what? Don't say anything at all. It kind of has that ring to it. For all of this to come about, it requires for us to fellowship together. So I come back to this idea we're justified, by the way. Uh, for our sake, Jesus made, or God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's what it means to be justified. Uh, we are justified, declared righteous at the moment of our salvation. Our righteousness comes from placing our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Our salvation Again, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Lord, that God raised him from the dead. that's Ephi- uh, Romans chapter 10 verses nine and ten uh, is is the idea of, of of accepting Christ as our Savior. as that happens, we are no longer a part of the world who's not inheriting the kingdom of God, we are going to inherit the kingdom of God, and we have been declared to be right with God. So the washing or the cleansing that's going on in us the sanctification that's going on in us is all part of the response to being justified we had a debt that we didn't uh, that we couldn't pay and that whole sin debt had been paid in full in the words it is finished on the cross that's where our justification comes from isn't that a, it's a powerful picture so we're being washed we're being sanctified we're being we have been justified and and yet I have to put here but wait I'm still struggling what's wrong with me? And I believe there are a lot of Christian people that come to the point where they feel like maybe they're not saved. Maybe they've got some other problems. Maybe they, they haven't heard it the right way or they haven't said the right words because they're still struggling with sin in their life. Romans chapter 7, I'm not going to go through the whole, the whole chapter, but just the last few verses. Paul says, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right evil lies close at hand i want to do a right thing something opposite evil lies close at hand for i delight in the law of god in my inner being in my spirit in my soul but i see in the members of uh, in my members he means in my flesh I see in my flesh another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. He's looking at it and saying, I'm in a duel here. I'm in a a battle zone. I'm in the flesh and and my flesh is crying out to be satisfied. And my mind is saying, but there's, there's things that you can't do anymore because you are a man of God. But I want to do this. But you can't do that anymore. And, and you're this battle going on. And so Paul writes, as he looks at this, he says, Wretched man that I am. And this is Paul speaking, a man who is preaching the gospel. He's saved, he's, he's inheriting the kingdom of God. He says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will deliver me means to deliver me from the influence of this. Who's the one that's going to transform my mind so that this can, I can have some victory? Thanks be to God, he says, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with the flesh I serve the law of sin. This battle is going to go on and on. But because I serve the law of Christ, I have Jesus Christ in my life. He goes on to chapter 8, which is a powerful, powerful chapter. It's one of my favorite chapters to go through. And it starts right off with, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Meaning there's no judgment. There's no wrath. It's been taken care of. Why? Because I've been justified. Through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So as I look at the the, this struggle of of battling sin and, and and in my life, there are still hard questions to deal with. Why do I still have these feelings? Why do I still I you know well, it's because I'm in the flesh. Paul's trying to teach us. There are things that are hard for us to understand and, and grasp that maybe another Christian is understanding and grasping in their life. Uh, it's because there's something still in the way in your life. Something that's still being transformed. I took it as, as a picture, again, me and my pictures. And I know I've shared this one before, but I, I have a particular sin in my life. That is just overwhelming me, and it's, it's huge. I see it as this huge boulder, like just massive boulder. And and it's, I mean, when I say massive, it's like the size of, of half this room or bigger. I mean, it's huge, and it, and that's the way I perceive it. And I can't seem to get rid of it. I even bring friends to come in and pray with me, and and I see us as praying about this and seeking God to get rid of this thing for me. Is us putting our shoulder to it and pushing on it, and trying to get it to go. And, 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 and it'll rock a little bit, but I can't get it to go off the cliff. And it's really right on the edge of the cliff and it won't go. I've had other things go off the cliff and, and, and changed my life forever. But I can't get this one, and I'm obsessed with it. Until finally I sit back and I say, okay, I give up. God, I don't know what to do. This question has boggled my mind. I don't know how to solve the answer. I don't know how to fix this situation. I don't know what you want me to do. And it's kind of like God saying, well, Bobby, are you listening to me now? Can I show you something? And He pulls me off to the side and, and I see through His eyes that there's this rock about the size of a bowling ball on the, on the edge of the cliff, right where my boulder is, and I'm trying to push it off. Have you ever found out what it is to try to push a car even over a bump? It's hard to do. In fact, we put a block on a piece of rock or something like that, so it won't do the backward roll or a forward roll, depending on the angle that it might be on the hill. To make it safe, you know, you, you can't even... And, that's, and, and he says, I've been waiting for you to get here. This is what's in the way. This particular sin is in the way for you to be able to deal with this. And I feel like saying, "Well, George, you didn't have that problem." And and, and God says, "It's your your know, your your sinful self is is an individual, okay?" And and so, but now now that you see it, this is what you've got to surrender. And it's like God says, "You know, pray." And, and I pray. And it's almost, it's it's miraculous. That that little rock just slips right out. And and before anybody can even touch it, the boulder falls after it. All because there was something that I needed to take care of first. We're in that situation over and over again in our lives. And what I'm trying to say is is that, you know, we have questions about all sorts of things about God. You may not have the same questions that I have, And some of them we'll have collectively. Some of them we're going to have to come to the conclusion that we'll not know until what? We see past the dim mirror and see Him face to face clearly. That happens with the resurrection. So, I want you to to understand this lifetime of cleansing that's going on is a battle that we're in, but it's not to be feeling defeated. In fact, if anything, it's to feel excited knowing that God is is working in us to change us. And He wants to do it in a a way that will make us effective as better husbands, better dads, better uh, moms, better sisters, brothers, better friends, better parts of the body of Christ encouraging one another, building up one another, sharing with one another in such a way that we are a testimony to the community that says, oh, there go Christians. We know them because they love each other in a way that we've never seen before. We have hard questions. We're dealing with some of them. Some of them we don't want to hear the answers to. Part of them, some of them we want to cloud with the, the culture and use cultural answers to biblical questions. Doesn't work. We have to wrestle with the Word of God. It wasn't easy two weeks ago talking about homosexuality. I'm sure it wasn't easy for Brad last week to talk about abortion. Talking about, we're going to be starting to talk about men's roles and women's roles. And people are going to say, oh, oh. You, you You're one of those churches that says women can't be elders in the church, or you know, and we're going to have to discuss that. Those are hard questions. But when we come to it with the prayer and stuff, Lord, transform my thinking, transform my mind to receive through your holy Spirit what your word says, so that I can understand it. You've got a heads up. And so as we're going through these difficult questions this summer, pray before you get to church. Pray during the week that God will open your mind to things that even will happen through the week to prepare you to hear His Word on Sunday morning. In fact, we should be doing that all the time. I hear people say, "You know, we need to sing a little bit longer or we need to sing a few more songs or we need to do this so we could be ready to hear the Word of God. And I, and I had a pastor once tell me, we're supposed to come ready to hear the Word of God. We're supposed to come ready to hear through even the music to be enriched and and brought up. Not to be built up to a fervor, but to be already there when we get here. We expect that of the pastor preaching. But he's not any different than anybody else in the congregation. He's just the one that, that has the gift to sit here. And we all have gifts that we're supposed to be sharing within the body. I have people ask me, what's my gift? And the only thing I can tell you is, are there things in your life that you know you're supposed to be doing that you're not? Well, yeah. I said, get those things cleared away and then God maybe can speak to you about your gift. Washed, sanctified, justified. Justified through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The words, it is finished. Once we were not a people, but now we are a people. Once we did not have mercy, but now we do have mercy. Look at what we are called. We are called in First Peter a chosen race. That means we are a special people chosen by God. We are a royal priesthood. That means that we are actually Princes and princesses or some people like to say kings and queens. It doesn't matter. We are royalty and we are priests. means we are set apart for God's purposes, really, and God to use us. We are a holy nation, Peter says. What is a holy nation? The kingdom of God. Because we are justified, we are a part of the kingdom of God. A holy nation of people a chosen race, a royal priesthood. All because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. I invite you to share in communion this morning. And I'd ask that the ushers come and pass the communion out, the worship team come up, and uh, hold the, the communion until we've all been served and we'll share it together.
1: Jesus Christ, I think upon your sacrifice, you became nothing, poured out to death many times. I've wondered at your gift of life, and I'm in that place once again. And I'm in that place once again. Once again I look, and once again I look upon the cross where You died. And I'm humbled by Your mercy, and I'm broken inside. Once again I thank You. Once again I pour out my life. Now you are exalted to the highest place, King of the heavens, where one day I'll bow. But for now, I marvel at the saving grace, I'm full of praise once again. I'm full
0: of praise.
1: And I'm full of praise once again
0: Once again I look
1: And Once again I look upon the cross where you died and humbled by your mercy and I'm broken inside and Once again I thank you And once again I pour out my life Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross, my friend. Thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross, for the cross. For the cross my friend. Thank you for the cross, thank you for the cross, thank you for the cross, my friend.
0: Paul records in 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, what he received from the Lord, he says, and it's a part of the picture of communion in Scripture. I'd like to share that part with you this morning. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you, do this. In remembrance of me, let's share the bread. In the same way, also, Jesus took the cup and after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us share. He concludes with this. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. So we celebrate the the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ through the communion, and we also celebrate His coming again. Let's uh, stand as we close in prayer.